Hey you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. This is Luis Sanchez. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Scott Callentine. Welcome to the episode. Let's get started. Hey you guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. Today we have uh, Lucas Pulley. Did I say that right? Yeah. From the Tampa Underground. He's a director at the Tampa Underground. And Lucas, just so you know, our podcast uh, consists mainly of conversations around micro expressions of the church and leadership development. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Lucas Pulley. So Lucas, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, how you came to know the Lord, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm uh, living in Tampa, Florida now. I've uh, been married for going on 11 years. I've got two sons that are seven and four and um, a girl that's on the way and is going to be born any day now. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we've lived, uh, I've been the executive director of the Underground Network for a little over two years. Before that, I was the director of Tampa, the Tampa Underground Movement for five years. And before that, I was the founder and director of a network of microchurches east of St. Louis and led that movement for about six years um, and was uh, born and raised in, I was a farm kid, central Illinois, grew up on cornfields and beanfields. And, nice. um, but I wound up going to college at the Southern Illinois University. Um, and about a month before going to college is when I uh, surrendered my life to Jesus um, mm-hmm. in a, in a ditch next to a cornfield and, um, and went to, went to college. Like, you know, the old has gone, the new has come. And I'm not quite sure what any of this means, actually. Like, how do right. I follow Jesus in the real world? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, landed on campus and, and certainly had my, uh, uh, seasons of backsliding and that kind of stuff. And Lordship took a little while, but eventually found my way to a campus ministry. Mm. um uh at that at that university uh called intervarsity um yeah. uh, if anybody's heard of it so and was you know really early in my faith like mentored regular like discipled regularly by a guy in his 40s um just helping me understand spiritual disciplines and prayer life and study scripture and that kind of stuff and then mm. within like a year of being a christian he was empowering me to plant and lead a, a bible study in my dorm um, for people who are open to spiritual conversations and helping people, uh, discover Jesus and the scriptures. And then my junior year of college, I was overseeing all of the small groups across campus and every dorm on campus. And the whole thing felt wild to me. It was like, don't I need a degree for this? What, like, this feels very Hmm. quick actually. And, um, and yeah, I mean, so that was my earliest kind of uh, um, days at at scratching at microchurch, really, and and uh, you know, b- basically empowering and releasing students to pl- to start little communities inside of, incarnational communities inside of dorms all across campus, helping people discover uh, Jesus. And um, and uh, basically, my senior year of college, we just started planting. We didn't have the language of microchurch or network right. or yeah. decentralized, centralized, or any right. of that kind of stuff. But we just started planting organic, small, simple ministries all around the city as students while we were still doing the student ministry. Um, and then, you know, we we all decided to stay in that town after graduating, and that thing eventually became a sister movement of the underground. That's how I kind of stumbled into the underground by having this decentralized network of microchurches that we didn't call microchurches. And we, we were, 
we were making some mistakes and looking for help and mentorship. And it was hard for me to go to a seminary or go to a local church pastor and ask for help because it was just so different. Um, And so that's what led us. This was way back in 2009, 2010. It led us to stumble into the only underground expression at the time was in Tampa. And we got into like a little bit of a mentoring relationship with, with the leaders at Tampa. And, um, over the course of several years ended up becoming a sister movement. And so e- even living in Illinois and leading this little decentralized network of microchurches, I had this great relationship with Tampa and that that's eventually many years later, what led to me transitioning down here. I think that is a great segue to talking explicitly about the Tampa underground. Can you go ahead and explain for our listeners what is the Tampa Underground? And you mentioned this partnership or mentorship that started. When did that shift into you actually becoming a part of the Tampa Underground? Kind of go into some of that aspects of the story for us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so Tampa Underground is uh, sometimes classically hard to explain because it is simultaneously two separate things. So when people say, I'm a part of the underground, I love the underground, sometimes they mean different things. Um, mm. So we call, we call it a dual operating system, like a side-by-side organization um, that, that comes together to make a ecosystem. Um, so on the one hand, the underground is a decentralized network of microchurches. Um, the, and we believe uh, that our ecclesial minimum is that we believe the church is the intersection of worship, community, and mission. Um, and so we've kind of empowered people to listen to Jesus about their, for their calling. They're like Ephesians 2.10 mandate on their life to whom they have been sent. And when they have some clarity about that, to go as church planters, to plant and cultivate and develop from the harvest, um, these little uh, simple uh, expressions of the church among that people. Uh, and so we have a network of a, a little over a hundred of those expressions of the church across Tampa Bay. Um, and, but at the, so that's the church side that's like just, and I'm a, I'm a house church leader among the hundred. I have that hat on sometimes where it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm one of them. And, yeah. and, um, but I also happen to be the executive director of the nonprofit, the underground nonprofit, which is a platform of services that exists to serve the citywide network of microchurches to help them start, help them launch, help them grow, help support them along the way. Um, so sometimes people are referring to the nonprofit platform of services. Some people, sometimes people are talking about the citywide movement. That's what the Tampa Underground is. Um, it started officially like in 2006, 2007. That's when it was like, hey, federal government, we're a thing, you know, incorporation. <laughs> but it had existed long before that in like an informal, relational, organic way, um, going all the way. Probably the, the early seeds of, of what became Tampa Underground were all the way back in the mid-90s when, um, you know, one of the main founders, the, the author of the Microchurch's book and one of the main founders of the movement named Brian Sanders moved to the Tampa area as a campus minister uh, to to plant campus ministry um uh on every campus across the Tampa Bay area and from 1995 and and intentionally as a campus minister moved into the inner city had student leaders live in their house in intentional community was trying to bridge the gap between campus and the urban poor and trying to help train uh, um students as missiologists and kingdom thinkers and so fr- from the mid 90s they were kind of helping students 
develop a missional identity and have this big heart for the world and the poor and the lost. Um, and they start graduating folks from this campus ministry where they've been trained as missionaries and leaders. And they leave the campus ministry world and they go to assimilate into churches that just want them to sit and give money. And, uh, you know, they, you do that year after year. And they, they kind of produced this wave of alumni from that campus ministry that were around Tampa. And they were all just kind of struggling to integrate their faith into life and city and adulthood and career and neighborhood post-college. Um, and that's when, but they were all uh, still living in community and doing house churches and doing inner city ministry stuff, but they were always trying to do that in collaboration and healthy partnership with local churches, never wanted to like go out and try to try to do a new thing. And it was around 2006, 2007 that they started with um, the what's called the original 50, this original pool of 50 uh, um, leaders that had been in life and leadership together for, for years at that point and, and really decided to um, try to reimagine an alternative operating system of the church that supports and releases the priesthood of all believers That's instead good. of being a barrier mm. to the priesthood of all believers. Um, and so the, the first thing they did when they felt like the freedom and the permission of the Lord to run that road the first thing they did is that the the original kind of uh, nine overseers and their kids, so 19 of them total, they had 10 kids, they moved to the slums of Manila for a year to basically um, deconstruct under uh, man, like career decade-long Manila missionaries and disciple makers, like movement thinkers and church planters in the slums. To basically sit under their leadership for a year and 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 say, teach us, you know, like we, our our Western um, values and American ideology is so entangled a little bit with our ecclesiology, our our imagination of the church and what it means to plant churches and be missionaries and make disciples. We need to leave that context and sit under your leadership, and you help us to um, uh, disentangle those things and then to 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 build a new imagination. Um, and that's when they they wrote the underground manifesto in the slums of Manila and came back and launched the underground with that original fifty community. They started, I think, with twenty microchurches from the get go. Um, but again, that was on the back of like ten years of mm -hmm. of faithfulness. Um, and so it was around two thousand ten that I connected. We had about twelve microchurches up in Illinois, and it wasn't called anything. There were no paid staff. We were we didn't have a bank account. Uh, we were storing cash in a kitchen cabinet in a dirty apartment <laughs> and uh, you know, we were making a bunch of mistakes and, and it felt preventable. We needed help. And we, we, we uh, found our way to emailing Tampa underground and um, spent a lot of time here in Tampa. They came up and spent a lot of time in Illinois and over the course of time, just thought like, Hey, there's a really symbiotic relationship here. And, and I think we could uh, serve one another. So. Man, that's a beautiful. There's so much there. Um, so is that thing still going on in Illinois? Yeah. So basically when uh, it's a really long story and I'll try to keep it really brief. Um, but when I was, uh, as soon as my wife and I had the invitation from the Tampa community to prayerfully consider coming down to Tampa to direct the Tampa movement, we immediately turned to our community and said, this is our decision to make among the elders. It's not just my wife and I's. It's like a like the community has to agree. This is what the Lord is doing. And then if the community agrees, then you can lay hands on us and commission us down. So we had like a little um, 
discernment season, they all agreed, yeah, we think the Lord is doing this and commissioned us down. And then they immediately went into a, a prayer, a prayerful season of what's next for that community. Mm. And they landed on the decision to replace my director leadership in that community with a local pastor of a, of a church. And it was a pastor uh, of a, you know, a, a kind of a dwindling a congregation of, of mostly folks that are over the age of 60. They were paying him a salary just to preach every Sunday and couldn't care less what he did with the rest of his time. And he had a lot of shared vision with what we were doing and loved what we were up to and was collaborating with us a lot. And so that we thought, thought hey, he, he'd probably give some time to, you know, empowering leaders and coaching and connecting with folks. And um, so we basically like internally, they brought him on as like helping the movement. Externally, it looked like a merge because essentially it was like, oh, that little underground movement, we don't need to spend money on a co-working space anymore. We don't need to like build out all this infrastructure. We can use that church building now that's unused six days out of the week, you know? Mm. And so it like, we liquidated our assets. There was like a Sunday morning at that church where all those leaders just like, like stood up and it was like, before the sermon today, we just wanted to introduce these six new ministries that are a part of our, and all these new leaders that are just jumping in. Um, and I think it's been a really cool story ever since. That was a long time ago. Wow. Wow. Such, such cool stuff. You mentioned something, Lucas, and, um, and it's language, a bunch of cool language. Um, but one of the things that you said was the priesthood of all believers. For, for some of us who have not heard that language before, can you break that down for us? Because I think it's pivotal to micro churches, to disciple making, and for people um, to own their faith and to step in, you know, walk in their agency of who Jesus has called them to be and is inviting them, you know, for the sake of mission. So talk to us about that. Yeah, Peter, so that language comes from uh, in the New Testament from Peter, you know, just this, uh, um, he describes the the people of God as the priesthood of all believers. And then mm-hmm. even in Revelation, when you look at like kind of end of the age stuff, um, there's a lot of imagery of uh, of of priesthood and imagery of like kingship and reigning um that the the people of god aren't just you know wh- whatever like like measly peasant participants in some big thing but there's like responsibility and and ownership and agency that we have in this thing that is uh emerging now and not yet called the kingdom and um and and so you know it's the the this idea you know alan hurst sometimes says the moment that you're your baptism is your ordination into ministry mm-hmm. that your conversion is simultaneously your commission into the to be used by God in the purposes and the mission of God in the world around you so it's this thing that like the moment that i join like like i'm hidden in christ mm-hmm. and um his righteousness now is in me and lives through me and I'm born again, like the old is gone, the new has come. Mm. Simultaneously, without having to go to, you know, seminary has its place, whatever, but without going to seminary and getting certificates and getting degrees and do, going through all this training or whatever, like that, that stuff does not qualify you necessarily yes. to be a commissioned, ordained ambassador, representative of the mission of God in the world. You already have that. It's part of your, as you're saying, Lewis, it's your identity. It's part of this new identity you have. Um, and I think what we we have slowly realized over time is that there are there are ways in which the church can and I don't think it's I don't think it's 
always conscious or intentional, but there's the ways there are ways that the church can organize itself and operate that actually comes against the priesthood of all believers mm. instead of upholding and supporting and releasing the priesthood of all believers. There, there's a way in which the church can operate where you say with your lips, we want to see the priesthood of all believers activated in the city and the mission of God, but the way you operate actually makes that difficult. Um, so that, that's been part of the reason why we felt like the, the, uh, the operating system of the church needed in some way to be reimagined. Yeah. So there's this idea of, of, the, the priest of all of all believers and then or the laity versus the you know what I mean? And so and so when we step into a lot of spaces or we see church, I can only speak for the American church because and I've been a part of the issue, too. There's this laity and clergy divide. Right. And what we're saying is and, and what I hear you saying and correct me if I'm wrong. And, and, and I think we're on this train, too, is. Man, there really does not need to be this clergy-laity divide. Maybe there's people that get paid, and then there's people that don't get paid. But before the Lord and before the eyes of Jesus, we're all called to join Him on mission. And 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 we've been talking about this through APEST and a bunch of different stuff. But like each of us is uniquely gifted for the sake of mission, and discovering that is part of stepping into the fullness of the priesthood. You know. Once you were in darkness, now you're not. Now you're in light, and 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 you are a royal priesthood, right? Like you are someone that um, can bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people. Everyone can do that. Lucas, you mentioned uh, operating systems, and you've also talked about like the two entity structure of the underground. One being the micro churches themselves, and this other kind of moment of equipping and preparation. Can you explain, just for our listeners who are listening and, and want to get a better idea of how the Tampa Underground functions and more of day to day? You know, maybe they catch the vision, um, but day to day, how does the operating system work, and how does it support the micro churches, and what what maybe is the process like in to starting new micro churches and like what is what is how do, how does that like intersect and work together? Yeah, the uh, probably the key to um, probably the key to how it works together is on is the service platform understanding and doubling down and making sure that the work of reaching the lost and making disciples is in the hands of microchurches. It's not the centralized entity's job to do that. Um, it's the it's the services the the platform of services. It's their job to equip and support and empower leaders to then go do the work of ministry, which is reaching the lost, incarnating among the lost, planting the gospel, a commu- contextualizing, communicating the gospel, and making disciples. Um, so uh, uh, now. So basically, like the, where it would break is if the if I, as the executive director, decided it's a good idea to put together this this huge event where um, I'm I'm gonna make like a, a tell all the microchurch leaders you all bring your people to this big event so that I can preach the gospel because you and I might not say you might not say it with these direct words but. 
bring them all to this event because I'm going to preach the gospel to them really well, and we'll baptize them and send them back and all this kind of stuff. What that does is it communicates either directly or indirectly to the microchurch leaders that this isn't your job and that you're, you, you can't do this as well as we can or something like that. And it disempowers, it subverts their agency as leaders, and it communicates a little bit like what they are or aren't responsible for or whatever. I can't tell you the last time I did some call to faith or something publicly before a big crowd of people because we want that responsibility to be in the hands good. of the called leaders mm. who actually will do it better than I ever could because mm. they know how they know how to contextualize that moment and put it in the language. They're indigenous to the population that they're reaching to, to put it in the language that it makes sense to them and it's good news to them. Yeah. And uh, you know, so so that the the service entity is always, you know, we we're always trying to come underneath and support and not disempower the indigenous called responsible leadership of microchurches. So that's the thing. Like they they feel responsible to disciple their people because they know if they don't, nobody else is coming in to do it. Mm, if right. if if they didn't do it. And then we notice they're not doing it. And then we come in and try to save the day. We've actually hurt the priesthood of all believers. We've hurt them as leaders developing. We've hurt the people they serve because we're not going to do it as well. Um, so, you know, they know the microchurches know that like, uh, uh, and this, this is the other key part of it. Like the way that microchurches are born is from calling. It's, it's not from us top down saying we want three more microchurches started. And we want them to look this way. Who's willing to do it? Yeah. What that does is it scratches at the itch of like volunteerism, us saying, we need this done. Who can help? And then people saying, I volunteer to help. Doing stuff out of volunteerism is fine. Um, and, I, and, and out of a servant heart, that's fine. But the problem is um, it has a shelf life. Like people can volunteer for something for two years, but they're going to start to burn out if they don't start to do it from the well of calling. Like the <laughs> Lord has asked me to do this. And I'm saying yes to the Lord because he's wired me and asked me and invited me to do this. And I'm discovering more of him in the doing it, like along the way. Mm -hmm. um, so these, these microchurches are like leaders who are like listening to Jesus about their Ephesians 2.10 gifting and how that gifting is intersecting with the need of the world and with a people group who are in need of good news and in need of an introduction to Jesus. Um, and so, you know, as they go, you know, that's, that's where we're like, that's the called person. That's the called yeah. leader. We're treating them like a church planter, um, and, and supporting them as much as possible along the way. And then we, we just design, we listen, the, the centralized entity, we listen to the needs of the microchurches across the city. And when we notice that there's a lot of people needing a thing, we build it, um, media services, financial services, convening environments, certain conferences that would be helpful to them, uh, um, topical dialogues that a lot of leaders are asking about, um, the co-working facility, meet, meeting facility that we have that's basically shared by everyone. This is stuff that we've built over time in reaction to what the priesthood of all believers is saying they need um, good, to dude. be the church. I, I love that. It sounds like you didn't, hey, this is what we need. And even that is kind of like ministering to me even right now. I'm like, hey, what do our people need right now? And what do our leaders need right now? And what do we need to provide 
how can we come alongside them and, and provide that too? We've stolen that two entity structure from KC and I'm sure KC stole it from you. And we said, hey, we want to be uh, a people that operate as a mission agency while at the same time, a network of um, what we call simple churches right here, uh, you know, of disciple makers right here in the greater Seattle area. So super, super helpful to think in terms of don't build a thing that's not necessarily needed at this stage of the game, but build a thing that is needed and that will be beneficial um, and, and, and kind of prop up the priesthood of all believers. That's right. And that thing that you build, don't close your fist around it because two years from now, as soon as the priesthood of all believers doesn't need as, as much, you need to let it go. You need to tear it down That's and good. build the thing that they need at that point. So it's very adaptable. Um, yeah. You mentioned, Luis, you just mentioned uh, the Kansas City Underground. Our audience is very familiar with KC at this point. We've had Brian Johnson on here. We did an interview for Starfish in the Spirit. What is the relationship between Tampa and KC? What does that look like? Are there other underground networks? And then what is your personal relationship with KC and other underground networks? Robin them. Yeah, yeah. So we we love those guys. I mean, we've got um we, so we have the underground has sister movements both in country and out of country. I think it's close to 20 right now. Half of them in in the states domestic, half of them are international. They're not all called underground. Actually, I think KC Underground is the only one that that shares our name that way. Um, we've encouraged a lot of them to to kind of like really prayerfully consider what would be a a name that makes sense for your city, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and really try to contextually discern which KC did, and they they really felt like this name is really important for our city, and um, and so it, those movements. Uh, that have decided to opt into like a what we call a sister a, a familial sister level relationship with the the world, like international collective of underground movements are basically just opting into shared values uh, the the that are represented in the underground manifesto and um, uh, uh, some shared like covenant commitments among directors that are really just like character and and like uh, a leadership conduct kind of standards like we're we're going to empower our people. We're not going to exploit. We're not going to like uh, um, uh, micromanage or power up or control or anything like that. And we're going to be humble servants as leaders. And uh, it, but it's really like opt in to some of these shared values and commitments and opting into some rhythm of connecting with each other because we want to connect with uh, other movements or other leaders that are similar just to like mutually edify one another. But that's it. There's no there's no kind of like power structures or um, hierarchy or like hiring, firing power or, or even even like sh- shared or distributed resources or anything like that. Like all that stuff that would maybe be connected to like a denominational type of, of thing. It's totally relational and mutually edifying and um, and like we're, we're family. We'd love to be family with each other. And so that like on the organizational level, that's true. But the only reason it's true on the organizational level is because it's first true of the relational. Mm-hmm. Like I just love Rob and Brian and, and um, and, Timmy the, and all those. Guys. Yes. Yeah. And they, and we love seeing them and our team is obviously it's not just me here in Tampa. It's, it's Stacy, it's Tommy, you know, you've met a lot of these people. Um, and, uh, and then we've got movements uh, again, there's, there's like wildfire in San Antonio, there's catalyst network up, up in Portland. There's, um, there's uh, uh, two different movements in the St. Louis area. Um, there's uh, a couple of movements up in the Chicago area. So we've 
we've got friends that again, it's just like, first and foremost, it's like, we just love each other and we want to support each other along the way. And, and the movements that are kind of birthing in our midst, we just love those being connected to this larger global expression of the church. That's trying to reimagine a way to release the priesthood of all believers. Love it. Love it. Hey, what's been a highlight of your time with the Tampa underground? Talk to us about that. Oh boy. Highlight of my time with Tampa Underground. I mean, it depends on which hat which hat I'm wearing, right? So, like, I, you know, some sometimes I've got certain ways I could answer that as the director of Tampa Underground. I've got ways I could an, answer that as a governing elder. I, I sit as a governing elder in the churchwide movement, so I've been able to oversee like these just amazing restorations on the back end of like moral failure, where the the community has really come. That's rare to see, guys. I mean, I think you know that. Like when when you see a, a leader burn out or have a moral failure to see them actually totally submit and go through like a, a process of restoration and be restored to ministry. It's beautiful. so beautiful, man. And so there's, there's moments like that when I look back and it's like, I like water was streaming out of my eyeballs in a way that I couldn't control myself, you know? And like, you just like, you're, you're so convinced that the resurrection power is a real palatable thing. Um, there's been some moments like that. that are highlights for me, but even as just as a microchurch leader, I mean, I live, uh, for, for six years now, my wife and I have lived in um, the projects of Tampa Bay just outside the inner city. It's this 900-unit Section 8 housing village um, in a neighborhood co- called College Hill. And we've got you know three other uh, intentional communities that live in that neighborhood with us, and we kind of form this village, uh, disciple-making village. And on Sunday mornings, we just all get together for this brunch and discovery Bible study. And it's kind of open table. Anybody come? And man, those are some... Uh, as much things as I've seen, this is what I try to tell people, like as many things as I've seen in some of those other roles, like as the executive director or the governing elder, or like going to these big national conferences and just seeing like the people of God, like just and so inspired and ready to lay down their lives. Man, sometimes that stuff still doesn't compare to just sitting in a living room with a group of people who are asking questions about Jesus and really spiritually hungry and enjoying a breakfast together. It's like, sometimes I'm walking home from that Sunday morning space and it's like, I'd, I'll do this my whole life. I'll do this my whole life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Man, that's good. On that note, we're going to begin to wrap up this episode. Stay tuned. We're going to have another episode with Lucas coming out later. Um, but how can our audience stay connected to you and the Tampa Underground and just stay connected to what is happening? Yeah, I mean, we're we're really accessible, really approachable. I mean, if you our website tampaunderground.com here it for the Tampa movement, but if you're international, if you're not local to Florida or somewhere close to Tampa, it's better to reach out to undergroundnetwork.org. Um and my email lucas at either of those, lucas at tampaunderground.com or um undergroundnetwork.org. Come visit, double it as a vacation. We've got the ocean close to us. Uh, just get immersive, hang out with us or hop on any of our webinars or we'll get on a phone call or a Zoom. We're happy to chat with anybody. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for taking the time, Lucas. We are uh, super inspired by the work that you and others are doing at the Tampa Underground. Grateful for you and the example that you and the folks down there are setting for the rest of us across the country and across the globe, man. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keeping It Simple. We have more episodes coming out in the summer and in the fall of 2022. Stay tuned for season three as it comes out. Please like, review, share, and subscribe to our podcast. 